I want you to do something, if you're willing. I want this half of the room right now to shout out what's wrong. Okay, ready? One, two, three. What's wrong? Keep doing it. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Okay, now, you over here, I want you to shout out what's possible. What's possible? What's possible? What's possible? How's that feeling? Right? So now we're, I mean, it's got to feel better to say what's possible, right? So now let's just all do it. What's possible? What's possible? What's possible? Okay. As a child, I was in church nearly every Sunday unless I was sick. And every Sunday, for both Sunday school and in worship service, there was an offering that was taken. Each Sunday, would ma- my mother would make sure that each of us had something to put in the plate or the basket, usually a quarter, a dime, a nickel, but something. We could choose how we spent it. We could give it all in Sunday school, or we could give it all in worship, or we could split it between the two. I knew from an early age that giving to church was important. There were many sermons through those Baptist years of mine that talked about tithing. In case you didn't grow up with that tithing framework, um, a a tithe is 10% of your income. I'll give you a minute now because I know that you might be doing the math in your head if you're fortunate enough to have an income. And if you're starting to get uncomfortable, just take a breath, maybe a deeper breath, Did you know it's easier to talk about weather, entertainment, food, hobbies, sports, politics, religion, relationships, sex, all in that order, before than it is than it's easy to talk about money? Three quarters of Americans think that talking about money is rude. So if we do the math in here, that means that three-quarters of you think I'm being rude right now. (laughs) But here's what I found when I dug a little deeper into this. Talking about money or avoiding talking about it is culturally specific. In some cultures, talking about money is seen as really helpful, and avoiding talking about it is seen as rude. Um. An example I have of this is that I took a trip, uh, a group trip once, out to the Navajo, um, or Diné, as they call themselves, Indian Reservation in Arizona, and I found out that our host for the trip had asked the trip organizer, Bob, who was a white guy, if he would go into town and negotiate a price for something that they wanted to purchase. And negotiate is not quite the right word because basically what they said was, will you go into town and buy this for us so that you can get the white man's price? Because some businesses unfairly charge the Native Americans more. Now, you'd think that wouldn't still be happening, but let me assure you that it is. And another thing that I, uh, just in the last day is uh, yesterday, I was at that New Day Rising conference that was held at the UU Congregation of Fairfax and um, and we were talking about what are the elephants in the room for Unitarian Universalists. And as it turned out, money was one of the big ones. And they, someone said, well, poor people talk about money, right? Like that's not a thing for poor people. 
So where do we get the idea that we shouldn't? Well, for the American middle class, this idea was inherited from the early colonizers from England. So in England, it was really easy to see who had money because you could look at who had land and all that was required to maintain the land. And money meant power and prestige and status, and it was evident who had it and who didn't have it. So people who had money didn't really need to talk about that. And the ones who talked about it were the ones who didn't have it. And that's how talking about it became associated with lower class. In order to be classy, which meant polite, genteel, respectable, one didn't talk about money. And that's how that social norm was established. Well, I'm all for breaking social norms, and the, especially the ones that don't serve the whole, and that's one I think we should break, so let's just get started. I'm guessing that nearly everyone in this room has had, at some point, concerns about money. Now, maybe you've been one of the fortunate ones who have not, but I hope if you have had those concerns that you had someone to talk about that with, and know that while I may not be able to fix anything for you, I can listen, and that would be part of my role as minister. And sometimes saying something out loud enough times helps us find a way through a situation. And maybe that's what we're about here anyway, just helping each other through a situation called life. This coming Saturday you're all invited to our stewardship social. Especially if you're a member or a pledging friend, I hope you come. <clears throat> but if you're new to this congregation and you think you might want to commit and you want to know a little bit more about how we operate, this would be a good thing to come to. And our, Because we'll be talking about our programs, we'll have really good food, and we'll have really good conversation. So please do consider attending that. It's not here at church, so talk to me um, so you, I can give you the information. It's the, this is the kickoff for our annual pledge drive. To be clear, this is when we ask people for money. <laughs> we ask people at church to pledge an amount of your choosing, and it's paid all at once or it's paid throughout the year. And why are you asked for money? Because that's how we exist and function. That's how we're supported in being a church. And why do we need church? Because it makes us better human beings. It really does. Last year, our book discussion group read The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. How, have any of you read that? From the book discussion group, right? <laughs> so um, there were some political scientists who had done some research in there. He references them, and here's a quote. By many different measures, religiously observant Americans are better neighbors and better citizens than secular Americans. They are more generous with their time and money, especially in helping the needy, and they're more active in community life. And there was no correlation for them with specific beliefs and practices, but what mattered was the relationships that people formed as a result of being in a religious community. It really is all about the relationships. It's the friendships and group activities carried without, out within a moral matrix 
that emphasizes selflessness. That's what brings out the best in people. Imagine that. Church helps to heal and transform our lives so that we may go and heal and transform the world. And I don't mean that as a big healing and transforming, but little by little in the relationships that we have out in the world because of who we are as church people and the work that we're doing and the relationships we have, we're able to heal and transform those relationships out in the world. The financial support that the church gets comes from you. Sure, we may apply for a grant or two based, you know, for special projects, and even then, the money comes from Unitarian Universalists and some of you within this own, with this very congregation. But how we operate on a day-to-day and year-to-year basis is from members and pledging friends. I contribute to this congregation monthly. I also contribute to the San Diego congregation where my membership is held. My husband gives to his congregation in Fairfax, and we also give a little to the UUA. As my husband says, we're all in for Unitarian Universalism. How much should you give? That's up to you. I generally try to give 5% of my income to the churches, and then I give to other causes as well. I'm not asking that you tithe or give 10%, but what if you did? What if you did look at giving 10% of your income? The congregation this year, this congregation is 28 years old this year. If the church was a human being, we would say that the full frontal cortex of the brain has just knit together. That's the part of the brain that assists with sound and well-thought-out decision-making. And it's time, I think, to ask ourselves, who are we now and who are we here for? Who do we want to be? And where do we want to be in five years? And more importantly, who do we want this to be and what do we want this to be in 25 years and in 50 years? I likely will not be here. I don't know if I'll be here in 25 years, but I know I won't be here in 50. But some of you may, and your children may. We're now at the point where we can ask those questions and create sound and well-thought-out answers. Where do we go from here? The founders and the people who have been here for a long time have served this church very well. They've made improvements to this building. They purchased the building. They made improvements to it. They've supported it all these years. And now it's our turn. Now it's time to look more into the future. I don't know if when they, the founders who started this church thought about where it would be in 25 years or in 28 years. But I know that it's time for us to do that now. It may be the beginning of the annual campaign, but it's time for us to think of of what is possible beyond just year to year to year. If we think that 5% increase each year is great because it gets us a little bit more, then that's what we'll have is a little bit more. But we have to look at what's possible and what we want five years and 25 years and 50 years. The Roots and Wings campaign that we just completed where we we raised 
$20,000 to match a $10,000 donation has given us a good start to this. Thank you all for your generous contributions. We should know within the next year or so if we have the ability to build here an addition, an addition that would allow for increased programming and functionality and an increased impact of this church on human lives and on this community. And the reason we need to think beyond next year is that this community needs the presence of Unitarian Universalists. It needs what we have to offer, the principles that we affirm and promote. In a community where poison shows up as birdseed on the doorsteps of local businesses, courtesy of the KKK, where there's a rockwool plant being built just over the West Virginia line, when the open spaces are being taken away in Western Loudoun, when the support workers like teachers and ministers and restaurant workers and store clerks cannot afford to live in the community where they work, where, when our democracy is being threatened, when the world is bruised and hurting, and when you with your values and your beliefs need a place to belong and be in relationship, when people need a place to share their gifts with the world, and people need a place to be accepted as holy and whole with all of their identities intact. The UU Church of Loudoun is such a place. Our annual campaign can be about this year, but our thinking can't just be about this year, and it can't just be about next year. It must be about what we see as possible for this church, for who we are in the community, for how we can heal and transform our lives, and then heal and transform the world. We must expand our focus and think far more broadly and deeply about our impact in the world and what is possible. People need the saving message of Unitarian Universalism. Let us work together to make sure that that message is heard. Blessed be and amen.